Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on today, Cecil? Not much, Richie. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I, over the past few months, I've been messing with cloud technologies and doing some development in the cloud. And I stumbled across a library called Poly. And Poly lets you do automatic retries and a few other things as well. But it is so nicely written. And it is just so easy to just pop in your retry logic, try something, and then just watch the Poly magic do what it does, which is just automatic retries for you. And actually, Microsoft, the Patterns and Practices group, actually has a, a library that does something similar. It's called the Transient Faults Handling Application Block. It has support for SQL Azure, Service Bus, you know, a lot of those cloud-type services. I don't think it gets as much love as Poly does, though. You know, Poly seems to be uh, you know, where everybody's kind of leaning towards to, to handle these type of concerns. Yeah, I, I think sometimes those, those PAG blocks sometimes can be a little over complex. But uh, that's one thing I really like about Poly is that it's just simple. And when you just need to get one thing done, plug it in and it just it just kind of works. So I was really uh, happy I ran across that library uh, this week. It's called Poly. And this past weekend, I actually had the chance to go up to Tallahassee for the Tallahassee Code Camp. I got to say, I actually had a pretty good time over there. You know, I got to hang out with our friends, Ashley Grant and David Haney. And I was even able to get a bottle of David's vanilla bourbon winter ale that he brewed last Christmas. Oh, that must be amazing. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to open it. I'm going to put it in the shelf. I'm going to keep it as, as, as memorabilia. So did you get him to sign it, though, right? I should have. I should have gotten him oh. to sign it. But, you know, maybe next time. Next time, definitely. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Santosh Hari. Santosh is a software entrepreneur with experience building products on the .NET platform and has over 15 years of experience in the software industry. Santosh currently works for Spectrum Bridge, a wireless startup, where he leverages his software skills to help bring high-quality, affordable wireless broadband to the developing world. He also dons the volunteer cape and helps the Orlando.NET user group, OneTug, organize meetups and the Orlando CodeCamp. After hours, he helps out Sad Dollar Technology, a tech venture with his wife. When not working on software projects, Santosh loves playing tennis, rescuing animals, and cheering for his favorite college team, the Florida State Seminoles. This episode is recorded on March 14th, 2016, and now our conversation with Santosh Hari. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So I want to give a warm away from the keyboard welcome to our latest guest. Why don't you... You know, introduce yourselves for our listeners so they could know who you are a little bit. Hi, uh, my name is Santosh Hari. I live in Lake Mary, Florida, which is near Orlando. Uh, my day job is director of software technology for a startup company called Spectrum Bridge. We do exciting things, spreading wireless connectivity to developing countries. So one of those jobs where I like to wake up in the morning and go into work instead of being miserable on Mondays. So that definitely helps. I'm also director of technology for OneTug, which uh, basically means that I'm the guy who works on the websites and apps, if any, or you know helps put those together. I also 
help my wife run a technology company, uh, Sand Dollar Technology, and I help her from time to time. She runs it. I help her. So you're like her like, employee. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, no, that's that's true. Pretty much in every aspect of life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> She's the boss, and you just say yes, ma'am. Abs- absolutely. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Two sugars, two sugars with cream. <laughs> and you know, hey, you know that works for us. So you know. <laughs> hey, you know what they say, man. Um, happy wife, happy life. Yep. Absolutely. She's really supportive of everything I do, including my time away for work or one tug. And so that's a small way I can repay her. That's not a bad way to do that. So Santosh, I hear a little bit of an accent and I'm sure our listeners do too. Do you want to tell us where you're from originally and uh, and how did you end up getting into technology? Sure. So I was uh, born and brought up in India. I lived most of my earlier part of my life in Mumbai. Uh, a lot of listeners may be familiar with it as one of the bigger cities in India. You know, it was an interesting experience living in a city with, um, you know, multi-million people. How I got into technology was my father was a electrical engineer and he did some interesting stuff. He used to do wind tunnel testing for F1 cars and stuff like that. So this was back in the 80s and, you know, we didn't really have computers or, you know, any of that kind of newer technology in India. But because he got to travel abroad and work on these state-of-the-art machines, he sort of picked up the vibe that computers were catching on. So he started indoctrinating me into computers. My home was probably one of the first or first few homes in the neighborhood to have a personal computer at home. It was, uh, I don't know what brand it belongs to, but it was something along the lines of Spectrum. I couldn't tell you what particular, maybe it was like a local Indian brand or something. But I took programming classes in my sixth and seventh grade because, you know, my, my father was like, hey, you know, you should go go to this class, see if you like it. And, you know, they taught me to write in a code that does basic computations. And uh, that sort of got me into it because, you know, I'm I'm a lazy person. So... I learned that instead of writing something a hundred times, I could use a for loop and it would do the do the work for me. So, <laughs> you know, it's all about the efficiency. So, that's how I uh, got into programming, and um, somehow I deviated away from programming for my undergrad because I went into electrical engineering. I guess it's an Indian thing. I wanted to be like my father. I learned that I hated electrical engineering like, with a passion. Like it, was like, <laughs> it was like the worst four years of my life. Usually people say that the undergrad is like the best four years, and mine was like the worst four years. So I absolutely hated that. So after I graduated, I, uh, you know, you get these campus interviews in India. So I got offered a job with a company that was partnering with a British Telecom. The project that we worked on was a Y2K project. So, you know, I'm one of those people who saved the world from Y2K disaster. See, you can put it that way. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, again, I hated that jobs, but I, you know, I still uh, loved doing the side projects on the job, which were coding projects. So I decided that after one year, this was not for me. So I applied to some universities in the U.S. 
because I didn't know what I was doing. I applied to 10 or 12 universities, including Stanford. And of course, you know, the first thing I got was a reject from Stanford. I got like a bunch of admits, but FSU was uh, one of the universities that was giving me a full ride with teaching assistantship. So I figured that the, instead of taking on student, that that might be a better way to go. Amen. So, yep. <laughs> so... So I landed in FSU. It was it was interesting coming from a huge city like Mumbai to a small town like Tallahassee. Well, let me uh, ask you this then. What made you decide yeah. to apply to go to school in the United States? So I was, uh, you know, this was around the time of the dot-com boom. So I guess I was one of those gold chasers who thought that if I applied to and did my master's over here, I would land a job. So that was one of my primary motivations, money. But the other thing was I also realized working in my field that programming skills that I had gotten in my undergrad were not going to help me sustain a career. So I wanted to get more of a formal education in that. That's uh, that's debatable on what I learned as far as programming goes, but it certainly helped with quite a few life lessons for sure. So yeah, so then I applied to FSU, landed in Tallahassee, small town, culture shock, but I also grew to love the town. When I when I graduated, it was uh, it was like right after the dot com bust, so hard time to find jobs. One of the things that helped me at that point was uh, Visual Studio was coming out at that point in time. Actually, Visual Studio has been at one. Microsoft had an event in Tallahassee where they were doing the launch. I attended the launch, and uh, you know they gave a free CD. I went home, installed it on a computer, and you know wrote a few programs. And what you didn't you didn't get any any floppy disks? You actually got a CD? Yeah, actually they gave a CD at the event. Wow. So, yeah. So that that was uh, this was back in O two. So CDs are pretty uh, like late one, late O one, early O two. So CDs are pretty prevalent then. So right. <laughs> I installed it, wrote a few programs. Few days later, I show up for a job interview, and uh, this company is a Microsoft partner. So you know that was a that was probably one of the luckiest things I ever did was show up at that Microsoft event and learn to code. And I guess what separated me from the other applicants was you know i had already written a few lines of code in that language and had you know knew how to install it on machines and other things and so sure enough i'm working on a consulting gig so that's sort of how i got started and um, not, not just computers but also along this path of you know when you graduate you face this huge decision on which stack you want to go into i guess i took the uh, microsoft stack at that point so the interesting thing is most of my experience was in Java from my school days. So yeah, this was obviously a huge jump, but uh, but I loved Visual Studio. So I'm kind of glad I stuck with it at that point. Yeah, you made a pretty good bet, right? Like we're still, uh, you know, it's still kicking along, going pretty strong today. Yeah, well, I think uh, either way that you went, right? You went Java, you went Microsoft. There's still plenty of jobs and for both, you know? Yeah. So you left India and you came to the United States again to you know pursue your master's degree. What mm-hmm. was that transition like for you? Bigger city and your family and different culture and all of that type of stuff and, and coming to the United States now to pursue education. And I'm guessing you didn't know a lot of people at the school when you started, right? So like how was that experience for you? So it's a, it's it was an interesting experience because I flew from Mumbai. 
After a couple of hops, my plane landed in Tallahassee and I flew out of Mumbai early morning and I landed in Tallahassee late at night, but I've been flying for more than 24 hours. Since you go east, you save time. You know, I was really tired and really sad and depressed the day I landed. But the next day, I, you know, we took a walk around campus. I, I liked it. So once I got over the initial, you know, uh, three or four days of adjustment to the way of life, I was I was okay with it. And oh, uh, one of the toughest uh, experiences was, you know, as soon as I landed, uh, five days later, school starts and I have to go teach my first class to a bunch of American students. And of course, I use all these terms and they have no freaking clue what I'm talking about. So <laughs> that... So luckily, you know, I was able to get the feedback and go back and revise some of my terminology so my next class would be more successful. It did really helped having that teaching job because it helped me uh, interact more than I would normally have as just as a student who goes to class as opposed to a teacher who has to who is forced to interact with these students and talk to each one of them. And, you know, each one speaks in a different accent and uh, your people in college who come from all walks of life. So having to deal with each person, having to deal with different types of people, different types of accents definitely helped me a lot. I, I guess it's kind of gave me a lot of life skills. So let me ask you this. If I was supposed to go to your hometown tomorrow, what would be some of the like your top things that you would say uh, I need to go try out to eat? Oh, okay. So my hometown, I guess, would be uh, Mumbai. I was born in the southern part of India, but I grew up in Mumbai. So the thing about Mumbai is it's got fantastic street food. Uh, street meat? Not exactly meat. <laughs> food. It's a lot of vegetarian type food, street food. So it's like you have this... Uh, oh, okay. You have these potato uh, fritters and buns um, called vada pav, and they they put some awesome chutney on it, and that you know it's it, that thing is so hot it makes your eyes water, but that's part of the experience. And yeah. then you wa wash it down with a soda or lassi or something. Like, I would definitely recommend the street food. Try something called vada pav. Uh, puri, which is like uh, it's like a trail mix which has various sauces in it so that's something that you should try definitely the street food of Mumbai that's that you gotta try that so have you been able to find anywhere where you live in Lake Mary or even in Orlando that has anything similar to what you do at home? So the interesting thing about uh, Indian food in the U.S. is it's, uh, every every restaurant seems the same to me. They have the same menu. They serve chicken tikka masala and some of the you know, naan and some of the other things, which are mostly geared towards North Indians. So it's most of the food you find in the U.S. is uh, North Indian food. And we do have some really good North Indian food places up here. Like in Lake Mary, there's some memories of India, which is they have like a lunch tali, which um, I frequent often. Um, so <laughs> that's uh, so they have not North Indian food is the main food that you get in the US if you get that opportunity you should try some South Indian food they have dosas which are like which are crepes filled with you know spicy potato mixes and then you dip them in a sauce and chutney and that's kind of the type of food I grew up with so when we come up for London Co Camp you're going to take us out to get some some real Indian food uh Sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm holding you to it. This is recorded and on tape, so we have evidence. Uh, 
Sounds good, man. So another thing I wanted to touch on, stepping forward a little bit. So you're director of software for Spectrum Bridge, right? Correct. So, so, so what do you do as a director, a software director? And, and what does Spectrum Bridge do too, exactly? So uh, that's, that's an interesting job description. Um, I pretty much, uh, you know, every, anything and everything related to software development and um, even DevOps and cloud technology. So it's just a small team that we have at Spectrum Bridge. We try to keep the team small for a couple of reasons. It's, it's easier to work with a smaller trusted group of people when you're moving that fast and building newer technologies. It also keeps costs down because we are a venture-funded company. It's a small team, so regardless of what your post is, everyone helps out with every aspect of whatever it takes to build a product. So one one day I'm configuring some software that will help, you know, some third-party software uh, on a router box or something so it's 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 interesting i i learned a lot learning experiences like crazy like i've worked on networking and other things that i would never have normally touched at any other job pretty much do anything and everything under the sun as for what we do it's really interesting it's something i love it's something i'm passionate about if you go to spectrum bridges website the website would state that the motto of Spectrum Bridge is to you know, deliver broadband service for the developing world. So that's exactly what we do. We pick out uh, locations in developing countries for various reasons. I don't want to you know, state the exact name of the location, but uh, we have some in nearby countries. And uh, what we do is we go out to these countries and it's not that they don't have internet, but the internet in developing countries is often less than usable. Like I'm obviously I'm from India, and when I go go back and visit my mother or any family, the internet service out there sucks. So I can imagine that other developing countries have similar problems. We try to give them internet service at uh, acceptable level, even for the United States. So that's what we do. It's it's kind of like Apple products are, you know, how they are considered to be. Now, I don't want to get into any controversies because we are you know, Microsoft developers too, but, you know, mm-hmm. how Apple products are considered to be more clean, well-designed. Yeah. So that's that's what we do with the Internet service. We go out to these developing countries, and these are people who are very resourceful. They would like to have the Internet for various reasons, not restricted to just government incompetence, but you know, for various reasons, they don't have access to decent internet and we help them get that. So what you do is go to these various countries and I'm guessing you work with direct-to-consumer, I'm guessing, right? Like so you, person X or Y, or do you work with schools and government organizations? Like how does, how does the service get to location X? I don't know what the decision process is behind how Google Fiber reaches places, but I, ha- I imagine they'd have some kind of similar decision-making process like ours. First of all, we go to countries where the government is not against the internet. So obviously North Korea and Iran would be <laughs> out of question. Then, you know, we try to look into various factors and how conducive the country is to the growth of internet. Uh, and based on that, you know, there's a whole bunch of revenue models that we come up with, and 
we go to places that satisfy those revenue models. We are not exactly Google or Facebook that can go out and start deploying anywhere we want to. So we have to be careful about that kind of stuff. Sure. So do you have any uh, staff that you are directly the manager of? We have a team of you know six people out here. There's uh, senior, there's like senior engineers and you know a couple of junior engineers. It's a small company, so. So what was that like when transferring? You, you've got a computer science degree and an electrical engineering degree, and now you're leading people. So how how did you take that transformation? So working in a startup has been a great learning experience because when I this company went through various stages. The amount of learning that I had to do because I went from a senior developer to manager of software, director of software. So I, within the same company. So when I went from sort of senior developer to leading a team of around 20 people, that was that was a huge jump. It was it was something that helped me learn a lot. I don't know that I did the best at all times, but you know, uh, it's it's one of those learning experiences where you sort of learn what your style is, what you can deal with, and when you when you lead a team and you're directly managing people, it brings forth your own deficiencies because you have to deal with people of different temperaments, different skill levels, or different experience levels. And it's uh, dealing with all these people, it it kind of pinpoints where your deficiencies are in dealing with people. Okay. There's a few things I learned from that. A, you know, find highly motivated people to work with because if they are as motivated as you are, then things tend to flow naturally. And if you're working towards making the product, making the company better, kind of aim for the stars. And if even if you miss, you've uh, reached the top of a mountain. So it kind of helps in that direction. When you have people who are self-motivated, it teaches you to work on your own skills. Because one of the things I realized was if, if I'm going to be manager, then I need to improve my skills to where I can have a better conversation on a technical level with uh, uh, with the senior developers, I need uh, I need to improve my communication skills so I can talk to all these people, and I need to improve my management skills so I can not only deal with my team but also deal with other teams and upper management and other things. So it's it's been quite an interesting journey. So you mentioned you know your soft skills and that you need to improve your communication, your management, and and all that other uh, you know fun stuff that we don't learn at all in school if we got got a technical degree. So what were the things that you did to improve uh, those soft skills? Good question. So one of the major things I learned was to improve improve my soft... I mean, I never had a problem with communication or talking to people like uh, because of my background with teaching. So I could pretty much you know, go talk to anyone on my team and be com- completely comfortable with them. But my biggest challenge was taking the or making the leap from a teacher who tells students how to do things to being more of a facilitator where you put people in a position where they, they can do things better. So I l- read up on a lot of management books. I couldn't exactly tell you uh, which one? Because it's 
most of my reading is online so you know management books and blogs listen to a lot of talks like how to motivate people like there's a couple of ted talks on how to motivate people uh, i don't know if you're familiar with uh, what's his name daniel pink's ted talk on the secret science of motivation so things like that took that line of management where i'm not trying to force people to do things although sometimes that might be necessary because of a pending deadline or something but rather motivating them to do things so i guess that was kind of the line i went along with and it's uh, it works well for a smaller team again uh, when we when we grow the next time it would be interesting to see how that scales because you know like everything else when when a team grows you increase the lines of communication and that kind of brings its own unique set of challenges with it so you're also the director of technology for OneTug is being a director of software for Spectrum very much different for being a director for OneTug like i've never heard about a director for a user group before <laughs> so uh it it's it's an interesting position because i kind of get to decide uh, how one tag's uh, website is done to what matters i don't know but it's, it's been an interesting learning experience in that you know director being director of uh, technology of one tag it's it's an interesting experience because it's it's not your main job it's kind of um, something you do on the side it you do it because you're pa- you're passionate about it you l- you love working with the community my thing about one tag was uh, i kind of spoke at a code camp back in 2013 and then one tag board had a position open up so i pestered esteban and the guys until they uh, let me join <laughs> with one tag uh, my my vision was that okay so there should not be like one person writing the code for one tag's website or you know one tag's apps or code camp website so my vision from the very beginning was that to get the community to contribute So for the first couple of years I used whatever the previous uh, uh, people had left behind and you know that that was really good software but uh, I've uh, slowly started to take the OneTag website and our Orlando CodeCamp website and put these on GitHub and started getting contribution from the community that's kind of what I wanted to do with being the director of technology I mean it's it's more like the guy who does the websites so okay i i wanted to be the guy who does the websites but i also wanted to have be the uh, guy who gets the community to do their own websites so that's sort of where i'm i've gone with the whole one tag director of one tag position so i think it's about time we ask him the show question what do you what do you think krishi let's do it we got to ask you the show question are you ready for this sure imagine like a drum roll do 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 drum roll please I'm just going to tap the the mic right there. <laughs> there you <we> go. <laughs> so again we we talked about like te- a lot about technology and in India and you know obviously what you do and one talk and that type of thing. So what do you do when you're away from the keyboard? These days I don't get as much away from the keyboard as I'd like to. but uh, i was getting into this rut where i would code at work work till 6 or 7 in the evening come home have dinner and then jump back on the keyboard and start writing code or doing something like that i think this is where having having a partner who is understanding about that kind of stuff but is also not a coder helps because my wife noticed that i was doing this more and more so she uh, has tried to get me to go out and engage in physical exercise 
uh, type activities. Uh, so she has you know, signed us up for various 5Ks and stuff like that. So obviously I've got to go out and train for that. Otherwise I'll be left looking stupid at the track. But we also, we are foodies. So we often go you know, seek out places to eat, different unique type of foods. I like to travel quite a bit, so because I'm from India, and it also helps that my brother lives in Singapore, which is like the center of Southeast Asia. I go visit him, and I, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to travel to some Southeast Asian countries. Uh, like on this on a trip last year, I was in Thailand. So I like to travel to different places. We so we do the same thing here in the U.S. We go to go visit places. We have pets. We have a lot of pets, two dogs and three cats at the moment of this recording. We also rescue animals. That's kind of how we ended up with some of these pets anyway. So what made you guys decide to, to get into rescue animals? It's not uh, what made us uh, decide to get into it. So my wife was always into it, and I was initially against it because and uh, against the idea of having pets. But you know, when you see enough cute faces, you just can't uh, say no anymore. So oh, she our... gets you with the guilt card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now and then one breaks through and it ends ends up at our home. I've always enjoyed uh, animals like uh, dogs and cats and. I seem to have a knack to go because they all like me. Humans may not, but dogs and cats do for whatever that counts. One of the other things we do is we notice that the cat population in our neighborhood is always skyrocketing. So whenever we find a cat, we trap it, go get it fixed and released back into the wild. That kind of helps keep the population down. I kind of have a selfish motive in that there's one less cat. It's one less cat likely to end up in my house. We'd like to thank Santosh for being a guest on the show. It's great having the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at podcast. You can follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to the newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-scene access to the Way from the Keyboard. Next on Away from the Keyboard, we'll have author, instructor, and speaker, Michael Kennedy. I almost did it as a way to force myself to learn things. I'm like, if I can learn this good enough to do a presentation on it and people don't laugh at me, then I'll have learned something really cool, right? So I would, like, I would find things I would go present and I would force myself to learn them. And then developmentor said, you know, they contacted me out of the blue and said, hey, you know, we would pay you to do this for a job. You don't have to do this for free at Cocans all the time. I'm like, really? That's really awesome. Okay. So it just sort of kept going, right? And yeah, that was a fun one, man. Very interesting. Yeah, I think you guys are going to love this one. See you next time. Peace. to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
But again, just to give you an example of like what some of these things are, you know, yeah. so you could, you know, whatever you decide to do, you can send it to us. Um, you know, for the for the profile picture, we're going to need a fairly decent sized shot. Um, Richie, you know what the, the the exact dimensions are. You want to tell them? Um, it's it's pretty wide. If we get like a thousand pixels, that's that's great. Um, so the wider, the kind of the better. Um, we can kind of uh, tailor it um, a, a bit. Um, we, we've gotten some pretty small ones and we've had to kind of get creative and we're not very creative guys. So it kind of looks kind of, yeah. So the bigger, the better pretty much. Um, we prefer to scale down than to scale up because when you scale up, it it obviously loses some quality in the image. Um, yeah, but I mean, not, not, not Trump big, right? I mean, that's too big, (laughs) right? That's, that's too big. Yeah. It's way too big. Way too much stuff going on over there. (laughs) Oh, so you don't want me to send one with, uh, me wearing a make, uh, America great again hat or something like that. Oh, you got one? (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) If you put that hat on, I will not let this Actually, I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of making something like make a Microsoft great again hat or something. Oh, (laughs) that would be very cool. I would fully endorse that. Make, make Xamarin great again. Yep. I fully endorse that. Let's make that Xamarin happen. is actually pretty great. I mean, I, uh, they, you know, with their recent acquisition and stuff, I don't think that they really need that hat. They're doing pretty good, man. I mean, we'll see if we'll see if the momentum keeps up. But they're they're not in a bad space right now at all. 